0: Hello my dudes, welcome back to Previously Gifted. Today I think I want to talk a little bit about politics. It's been a while since I've done a political episode, so first of all, I apologize if you don't want to hear about politics, because that's what's going on today. I will start with some other stuff so you can at least listen to part of the episode. But yeah, I thought, you know, there's been a lot going on, and um, some of you, you know, frequently request some political updates. Sometimes, frankly, I'm just not up to it, you know. I, I've been having a very conflicted time in my life, like the conflict between trying to stay informed and be a good citizen, yada yada, but also feeling very overwhelmed because it seems like, well, obviously, you know, with lockdown and quarantine, uh, I feel like all, we've all been way more focused on the news than usual because there's just not a lot else. Uh, <laughs> In our lives going on. I mean, at least speaking for me, it's like, you know, I have my work and then I have my boyfriend and we live here. And beyond that, like when you're on social media, you're online, you're, you know, reading the news, there's just so much happening that it's like, well, we might as well pay attention to that because like our personal lives are kind of the same thing every day. But anyway, speaking of the uh, ordinary stuff, I feel like I'm like kind of out of breath all the time. But Especially right now, because, um, well, first of all, my sleep schedule is still absolutely wrecked. I don't know if I've talked much about it on the podcast, but um, (laughs) literally for months now. Like, for when it first started, I was like, oh, this is a temporary thing. Like, I'll get over it, I'll fix it. Now it's been at least three months of like terrible sleep. So I've gotten in the habit of going to bed between usually two and three, sometimes four, and that is horrible because I usually like to go to bed like, you know, maybe around midnight. So since I go to bed that late, I also still have to get my eight hours because like Nathan's told me, he's like, okay, an easy way to fix your sleep schedule is either go to bed early, force yourself to do it, or, you know, just force yourself to wake up early and then it'll reset and then the next day you'll go to bed early because you'll be tired. That does not work for me because I feel sick. If I wake up even a little early, if I get even a little less than eight hours, I feel nauseous, and it's so hard to motivate myself to wake up when, like, I don't really have any hard deadlines. Like, the only thing that got me out of bed early was, like, I had an interview the other day at, like, 9 a.m., and that was early to me, so um, if I don't have anything, like, to do at that hour, I'm either not going to wake up, or I'm going to take a nap like at like 12 or like in the middle of the day. And then that's gonna make it harder for me to sleep later. So I don't, I haven't, I haven't really found any ways to fix this yet. So I don't know what to do. I just keep operating on this weird sleep schedule. And like, it's fucked up because like the other night I was staying up really late to finish editing a video and I was up until like four. And then I realized as I was getting into bed, I was like, Nathan wakes up in like two or three hours. Like, it's, it's fucked up that, like, our overlap in sleeping is so little. Because he goes to bed really early, because he wakes up really early. And just, like, our schedules are so, like, opposite right now. But uh, hopefully I can fix that. I don't know how. If you have any tips, uh, let me know. I bought melatonin the other day because I was like, oh, maybe I should try this. But I hate taking anything. Like, if it's anything more than, like, an Advil, like, the occasional painkiller. Like, literally, Advil ibuprofen, whatever, Um, if it's beyond that, I will, I don't know if I psych myself out, it must be my anxiety, my health anxiety, but, like, I took one melatonin, and I was up for, like, hours tossing and turning anxious, and, like, that's, that's a big problem of, like, why I can't sleep is, like, I think I've been like subconsciously wanting to put off going to sleep because my anxiety hits right when I get into bed and right before I fall asleep, and then you know I'm like half awake and thinking that I can't breathe or thinking that I'm dying or you know feeling normal sensations in my body and I'm like, oh, what's wrong with my wrist? Oh, do I have a blood clot in my leg? These are things that have happened recently. So, uh, yeah, not not having an easy time falling asleep, but luckily. Once I do fall asleep, I sleep pretty well. I sleep through the night and I get my eight hours. So it's okay, you know? I just need to, I don't know how to fix this. I know I need to do it gradually and I need to stop letting myself like do work late at night because I know my computer screen and all of that's not good. Um, I just need to start like an earlier night routine, which I actually have been doing. I recently have gotten back into, I like to do stretches at night, like simple stretch routines. Because first of all, Like, yeah, like, my lack of physical activity is horrible. Like, I started getting calf cramps for no reason. Just my calves were always so tight. And I was like, oh, why is this happening? And then I was like, because I don't leave the house for four days at a time. And when I do, I'm walking from here to there to the kitchen and back. So I was like, okay, my body needs a little something in addition to some daily walks that I'm trying to do, even if it's just a short walk around the block, because Again, I need fresh air. I need a little bit of movement. Um, But yeah, I do these night stretching routines. I like a YouTuber named Tom Merrick. I think he's called the Bodyweight Warrior. He has really great stretch routines and I've watched all of them a million times. (laughs) And so, you know, I'll just spend like, between like 15 to 25 minutes, depending on the video, doing his little stretch routines. And it's really nice and I just, I I put his videos on mute, but like with the captions and I just watch him and follow along and then I'll play a podcast or watch a video at the same time. So then it like, I know you could use the (laughs) stretch routine as like a time to like, you know, mellow your mind, start to kind of meditate a little or just like not think about things. But I like to overstimulate myself with media, so I always have to be listening to something. But no, I find it really relaxing. So that's part of my night routine that I'm starting to do. And I also have been actually reading. I think I'm I'm currently reading. So you've been publicly shamed because that was recommended to me by a lot of people over the years. You know, especially in regard to canceling people or holding people accountable. Um, and so it had always been on my list. And I thought, okay, I'll read it. Sure. Um, and so I have actually been consistently reading it. So most nights, if I stretch. Then after that, I do my reading and sometimes I'll just read like one chapter, but it is nice for me to kind of get that little bit of uh, you know, winding down routine and then it kind of helps me get a little more sleepy for bed. Anyway, all of that to say, today I woke up late as per usual, like late as in my alarm went off at 10, I ignored it, and then I woke up at like 12. It's so bad. I do not like waking up that late. Like I'm not an early bird, I'm not a morning person, but like I would ideally like to wake up around 8, 8.30, 9 at the latest on a weekday. Like Waking up at 12 is absolutely ridiculous because like Nathan goes to work so early, he'll come home early some days and he'll be home done with work at like 3pm. And I'm like, I just woke up, I haven't even had breakfast yet. It's so bad. Anyway, so today I had literally like two or three things on my to-do list because it's Friday. I was like, okay, I need to do laundry because we have overflowing laundry and we're also moving soon. So I've been going through my clothes and then I want to wash them and then either keep them for myself or list them on Depop or find somewhere to donate them. So I've had a ton more laundry to do than usual. And so... uh, yeah, podcast and laundry. How hard can that be? To do in one day, <laughs> it should be very doable. But um, while I also plan to wash my hair today, and if you're watching the video, that did not happen. There, It's so funny. I take, like, body showers, like, throughout the week, obviously, but washing my hair, I usually do every, like, th- three or four days, and most of the time it's motivated by, like, needing to film something. Like, I'm like, okay, well, I have to... I have to wash my hair if I'm gonna film a video. And those are the days when my hair looks the best. And then the rest of the week... I've been trying to avoid dry shampoo because I went through a whole dry shampoo, like, extravaganza. And, like, <laughs> it just... It builds up in my hair. I need, like, a clarifying something. Um, and then it looks like I have, like, dandruff. Which I... I don't know. Maybe I also have dandruff because my skin's probably very dry right now. <laughs> but... Um, It's just like I get like all the buildup of either dry shampoo or I tried baby powder again. So I was like, oh, maybe this will work. And then I just have all this shit in my hair and my scalp feels terrible. So I'm trying to avoid that. But then my hair is just like greasy, which I don't mind like at home and... You know, I don't care if I'm not on camera, I don't really mind. Um, and then when it's like the last day before I need to wash my hair, I actually put it up. Um, but now it's been like two days of putting my hair up, and I'm just I'm just putting it off as long as I can. I think it's healthier for my hair, you know? Like, I don't need to wash this too often, but... Um, Yeah, in my list of things to do today, I could not handle washing hair. That's a whole undertaking. My girls, you understand, or honestly anyone with even long-ish hair, Um, when Nathan was growing his hair out for quarantine, uh, he finally understood how difficult it is to deal with hair as it gets longer, and then he ended up uh, shaving his head, and now he's growing it back out again. (laughs) But anyway... My point is, laundry, yes. So I live in a building with a laundry room downstairs, it's shared between everyone, and there's a good number of washers and dryers, and usually it's not a problem to be able to do the like two, maybe three loads, but sometimes I have to wash my bedding too, or lots of towels, and then I'm like, oh, I need like four washers, like, is this gonna happen? So I go down today, and I bring my like, two loads of laundry, I get down there, it's empty. I'm like, yes, thank God. So I'm like, cool, I can use as many washers as I need. I need like three. So I did my two and then I remembered I didn't grab my towels. And because we're moving, everything is packed up. Nathan's been obsessed with packing things like way too early. Like we're moving in a week. Oh, we're moving in a week, cool. Um, And Nathan's been (laughs) like, For the past week and a half, if you can see the video, he's been taking down my decorations, he's been packing up our little knickknacks and things, which is good, it's good to get a head start, but I feel like we got started a little too early, and now our whole apartment is in disarray because it's like half packed and half put away, and it feels so empty, like, we've put a bunch of stuff on Facebook Marketplace, and like, I just, I have no tables anymore. I have, like, our rugs are gone, some of them. Anyway, so it just feels very weird, and it's felt like this for too long. So Nathan keeps packing things away. He gets very excited. Like, the other day, I was doing my Depop orders, and I knew I had envelopes that I had bought for these packages, and I couldn't find them, and I was so angry all of a sudden. (laughs) I had, like, the shortest temper about this one thing, and I texted Nathan. I was like, did you get rid of my envelopes? hello, hello, I need them. And he's at work, you know? And um, he's like, oh, I think I packed them. They're in a box. And I was like, oh my God. I was so angry. I was seething. I think I was just like, I was trying to get my errands done, trying to knock out my to-do list. And now this was an obstacle. So I had to move a bunch of boxes and then find the box, open the box, take the envelopes out, repackage, tape the box, put them all back. And for some reason that angered me a lot. Anyway, short fuse on that day. So, there keeps being little items that I need, where I'm like, where's my Sharpie? Like, where are all of my Sharpies? Did you pack them away? (laughs) And I don't blame him. Again, he's trying to be organized and proactive, but I keep being mad that things are not exactly how I want them to be. So, we packed away most of our towels, and we've only left, like, our one set of towels. We're like, oh, we can just wash them, and then we'll have our one set. So today I'm doing my laundry and I forget to wash our towels and I go, God, okay, I'm going to have to go get them. So I was like, okay, it's fine. Like the laundry room's empty. I'll go grab them. I I come upstairs, I get the towels, I come back downstairs and suddenly the laundry room is full. All the other washers are taken. And I'm like, I literally missed my moment. It was a matter of like a few minutes and now everything's ruined. Again, it's not a big deal, but... um, (laughs) I was like, well, this is going to throw off everything now, because then I'm going to put the other stuff in the dryers, and then the other one's going to have to be in the washers, and it's going to be on different times. And in the middle of all this, I'm trying to record a podcast episode. So I'm trying to think in advance, like, can I record part of the podcast in this 20 minutes, which is me right now, before I have to go grab stuff out of the dryer. Um, (laughs) These are all just such, like, you know, not, not big issues, but when I have to do laundry, it is not a simple undertaking. It is not just one thing out of like 10 that I can get done in a day. If I'm doing laundry, it is going to take up half of my day and most of my energy and all of my patience. But again, I'm very lucky that we have a laundry building or a laundry floor in our building because um, I'm glad I don't have to go to like you know an actual laundry mat because like that would actually require like my full day and attention. So at least I can get little things done in between. Um, but also, I've just been dreaming of in-unit laundry, and you know, in New York City, that's very rare. That's a huge luxury. And um, as we were apartment hunting. Some of the things on my list were like, okay, I need a dishwasher cuz I'm lazy and I need I need a dishwasher and Nathan is very impatient when I leave dishes in the sink like I think he is like probably more of a type A organized person and I'm more like, what? I can leave the dishes out for a little, they're soaking. I bet you guys are cringing at that. Um I'm definitely not like the roommate who's going to leave dirty dishes for like 3 days, but will I leave them all day? And so having a dishwasher is a must need. Have, like, when we were doing the search, I was like, if we can get an in-unit washer dryer, that would be clutch. That would be everything. That would change my life. And, um, a few of the places we had considered did have in-unit washer dryers, but the one we ended up getting is not, uh, does not have that. Uh, but it does still have laundry in the building. So I'm like, okay, it's fine. But like, my frustrations with uh, with laundry. I don't know. I mean, like, I could be super bougie and, like, pay for, like, a laundry service, like those wash and dry services, um, but I'm not trying to spend any more money on laundry, and, like, it's really not that big of an inconvenience. Like, one task I have to do maybe once a week, um, but I thought I would be nice and do it today instead of waiting for, like, the weekend weekend because... Even then, it's like, even on the weekends, like somehow two whole days is gone between like, oh, we have an errand to run and then we have to grocery shop. That takes up half a day. <laughs> I think like my quarantine brain is just getting very impatient with like, everything's the same and I have to do all these silly little tasks and and, and then it's the next week and I have to do the things again, you know? <laughs> anyway, sorry for complaining about my errands, but I hope it's relatable. I'm currently holding, if you're watching the video podcast, a book that I bought at Target when I was buying my new journal, because that's another thing. I'm trying to get back into journaling. I used to be a big journaler, but I haven't journaled in years. And I just think this is a good time for me to, you know, let it out and also kind of a cool thing. Cool. Cool is not the right word. An interesting time to look back on um, in the future, I guess. But at the same time, as I was buying that journal, I bought this fucking book 3,000 Questions About Me. <laughs> And I was like, I can use these questions on the podcast as like an icebreaker. And so this might be a new uh, segment on the podcast just to get us, you know, rolling before we get into the actual topics. Some of these questions are good. Some of them are way too deep and some of them are way too silly. So there's a little bit of a mix. Like, okay, number one in this book. What is your idea of perfect happiness? I'm like, oh my, god. okay, we don't have time for this. That could be its own podcast episode. So I'm gonna try to find a question really quick that we can maybe maybe talk about today. Wow, what is the trait you most deplore in yourself? I'm like, ooh, don't get me started. Maybe I should wait, I'm gonna I'm gonna read them really quick and then I will respond, three, two, one. Okay, I think I will address that tough question. What is the trait you most deplore in yourself? Um, oh God, essentially right off the top of my head, I guess I would say just my general low energy-ness. I don't know if this is natural, I don't know if it's like my personality or if it's more of a physical thing for whatever reasons, maybe I'm just more low energy, but I do really, dislike that about myself I've I've gotten to a point where I'm a lot more forgiving of myself so I'm not like trying to be mean but it is true like again when I'm talking about I have two tasks in the day like that should not necessarily be like maxing me out and I understand you know obviously people with chronic pain or chronic illnesses you understand you know the spoon theory and and that kind of a an idea where you have limited energy and that's totally valid and you should never beat yourself up for that or feel lazy there is no such thing as laziness but um I do get very impatient or frustrated with myself that I I think mentally I want to be that kind of very energetic like motivated person and sometimes i mentally feel like that but i think physically i am just i'm just low energy i'm or maybe you could call it chill i'm mellow um (laughs) for slightly more positive spins on that Um, but i really do wish i was more capable For example, like Nathan, this is something I really admire about him, he is that opposite type of personality where like, he'll wake up early, he'll get immediately to work, he's very efficient, and then when he, you know, he does his whole work day, and when he's done, he's done, and like, that's it. He gets everything done that he needs to do, and like, (laughs) it's hilarious when, like for example, we're cleaning the apartment, like, oop, my timer's going off, I'm gonna have to leave in a second, um, like, we'll be cleaning the apartment, Nathan will clean. Half of the apartment in the same time it takes me to clean like our tiny bathroom. (laughs) Like, I don't know how he's so efficient. I don't know why physically I'm so slow or like maybe I get distracted. I don't know. But that is something I, I don't know if I'm gonna say I deplore it in myself because that seems like a powerful word. But I do wish I could be a little more high energy and a little more um, efficient. I guess, in certain tasks, you know? But that's okay. Let's be forgiving in ourselves. That's all right. That's something I can work on. There are certain things that I can do to um, maybe plan better, better or to motivate myself when I'm not feeling the most high energy. I'm doing a little check next to that question so that we know in the future that I've answered it. And that's the beginning of this new podcast segment. 3,000 questions about me, thank God. Okay, let me go grab this laundry before people get mad at me for leaving my stuff in the dryer when it's done because we don't like those types of people. Last week I had to wait 25 actual minutes for someone to come grab their laundry. I'm, I'm pretty patient in that way. I was trying to be understanding. You never know what people are doing in their day, things that come up, but I don't wanna be that person today. So I'll see you guys in a second. we're back. Alright, so we will get into the political section now. I asked you guys on Instagram for some questions, and I pretty much am just going to, like, recap my beliefs and stuff for those of you who haven't listened to the podcast or haven't heard my political um, positions vaguely. And then people ask some questions about the Biden administration and everything, and also some questions about the New York City mayoral race. So let's just jump in. First, some people asked, um, are you a Marxist? What's your political compass? Um, Left wing versus liberal. (laughs) Thoughts on socialism, communism, leftist ideas. And that's a lot of questions, but I will try to start. First of all, um, the political compass. I've taken these tests many times, and I am in the left libertarian quadrant, pretty far down. Um, So I would say I am a leftist. That is how I identify. Um, These labels are so tricky because a lot of people don't agree on what each uh, label means exactly. So I think I've explained this before. But in the past, I just identified as a Democrat. Like Before I was actually politically active, I knew that I was you know, on the left, but I didn't have any um, strong political stances exactly, or like, I don't know, like, I took AP Gov senior year of high school, and we did the political compass, and we actually had a huge, like, piece of paper on the wall and had to, like, plot ourselves on that, and I wish I had a picture of it, because I would have loved to see where I landed then, and also, like, where everyone else was in my class, but, um, yeah, so I've always been, you know, on the Quote unquote liberal side, but we'll get into that. Um, and then with Bernie's 2015 2016 run, that was really when I had my personal political awakening and started to learn a lot more about um, the positions that I believed in and also learn more about the positions that I was not familiar with. So that helped me, you know, understand my beliefs a little bit more and figure out where I needed to learn more um so bernie what does bernie identify as democratic socialist um there are so many different terms so like democratic socialist social democrat are you a leftist a liberal are you a socialist um and i for a little bit identified as a progressive so that was really popular especially around the 2016 campaign um That was a distinction, from my opinion, from like the standard Democrats who kind of go with the, you know, the party elites or the party insiders, the Clinton type politicians who have, you know, been career politicians um, who are very much for the status quo of the Democratic Party. So progressives are supposed to be, you know, for progress, obviously. So unlike conservatives who might want to keep things the same or are more toward, you know, you know, again, the status quo, progressives want to move forward in various ways. So in 2016, that was pretty much like, are you for Medicare for all? Are you for an increased minimum wage? Are you for, you know, basically Bernie's whole platform? But even at the time, there were a lot of Hillary Clinton supporters who would say that they're progressives as well, but there was obviously a lot of infighting between the Bernie Sanders, which is definitely the further left part of the Democratic voter base, and the more uh, center-left Clinton voters, so... Yes, for a bit I identified as a progressive, and then over time I feel like <laughs> I feel like everyone started to call themselves progressive. And that's what gets really confusing is like you'll have these even like center right politicians trying to insist that they're progressives. Like, for example, Biden. Like Biden, we should all know that he is not a far left or like a leftist politician. But it became this kind of branding where it was like, oh, everyone wants like Pelosi, you know, like these old school politicians. So I'm a progressive. I'm the most progressive politician you'll ever see. It's like, come on, you want to compare like a Bernie Sanders or an AOC to those politicians. There are huge distinctions in their voting records and the policies that they are promoting. So clearly there's a big difference there and we can't all use that same label. Um, So you bring us to 2020. This whole election, I voiced a lot of my frustration with the moderate Democrats, such as Klobuchar or um, Pete Buttigieg and kind of the flip flopping that we saw a lot during the primary politicians were trying out like what what lane should they be in because obviously the uh democratic primary was so crowded are you gonna be the far left candidate well if you're not bernie sanders that's already taken elizabeth warren tried to be kind of in that realm um but again it was generally agreed that bernie's further left than than warren and then there were lots of people trying to label them themselves as progressives or as the the moderate candidate, the choice that um, supposedly is supposed to be more appealing. You know, the moderate Democrats were the ones who were like, "We could win over some, you know, never Trump Republicans. We can win over the independents. We can win over everyone because we're so moderate." <laughs> Which uh, I have my beef with moderates because, in my opinion, I just don't think they really have. Many positions that they care to fight for. It's just kind of like they're just anti far left. And like many of them have a lot more animosity and hatred uh, for the quote unquote far left, like Bernie, rather than, you know, the far right and even, you know, Republicans in general. So (laughs) a lot of this is probably not making full sense. But when it comes to what I label myself as, I still have quite a lot of research to do. I would like to do more reading, but also that's a little bit like elitist, like the assumption that you need to read Marx and you need to read all these heavy, dense texts to be able to understand. It's like, no, like there are some pretty basic ideological um, points where you can kind of use that and, and determine where you fall on the broad political axis. So I, I do have, you know, quite a few books. Again, I have mentioned that I have uh, a book on socialism that I want to read, and also uh, I want to read some Chomsky, but I vaguely know where I am based on my positions on certain issues. Um, I'm certainly on the left, and I would say in the U.S., I would consider myself a far leftist, but of course there are many, many people who are further left than me and would probably look at me and call me a fucking liberal because I'm not like already a communist or a full-blown socialist, so... Um, yeah, I think I think I have more research to do just to understand exactly where I fall, but I don't really care that much about having an exact term to define myself because again, I'm fine with leftist, especially because when it comes to like electoral politics, the the candidates that we even have the opportunity to campaign and vote for tend to still not be that far left. So like if again, someone like Bernie is the furthest left we have currently, then, like, it doesn't matter if you're, like, Bernie was popular among leftists because he united everyone who was, like, you know, liberal all the way to commun- communists and socialists and, like, the most far left that you can get. Um, so I don't really care about the distinction, uh, personally, at the moment. It's also tough because I, I guess I have, like, my theoretical or, like, idealistic positions on certain things. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I could say that, like, ideologically, I am for democratic socialism. Um, but I guess the difference between, like, political theory versus what do we do today? Like, what do we do in the next few years? Because obviously, where we are, where, you know, most people are so, uh, again, have so much hatred for the quote-unquote far left that's not even far left. Again, so many people repeat this all the time. I was listening to Smokey Glow's podcast the other day with her um, husband, and they talked about a little bit about the Biden administration and stuff, and they were saying the same thing. Everyone always says it, especially people who are not from the U.S. They say like people call Bernie and AOC crazy far leftists, but like they're not even far left. And in tons of other countries, There are, like, actual socialist parties or, like, actual leftists who are way further left, and a a politician like Bernie would be seen as just, like, a standard center-left politic, politic, (laughs) politician. So, anyway. um, Yeah, when it comes to what I actually think that we should do in the next few years in terms of uh, political action, I mean there are some leftists who are very like anti-electoral politics. And I understand the frustration with that. And I understand like philosophically seeing that our our system doesn't work and like it's not actually democratic. And so I, I understand that. And I'm not trying to convince anyone that they need to be into electoral politics if they're convinced that they don't care about that. But again, in terms of what I think is useful. I do believe wholeheartedly that we should vote and we should encourage many more people to vote and get involved in the process, even though there's all the bullshit, even though there's the campaign finance issues and like actual voter suppression. And um, yeah, despite all of that, I still think, you know, would we rather roll over and die and let these elections happen without our our contributions or should we get involved. I mean we saw especially again with Georgia and the Georgia runoffs like we've seen what can happen if a lot of people get involved and there's a lot of donations and a lot of energy and a lot of promotion for these races. I mean that was that was a special event because like that's not possible nationwide all the time, but it was it was nice to see a concerted effort come through and win because of that immense amount of money and energy put into that, uh, those races. So anyway, yes, I still believe in electoral politics, or at least, I don't know if I believe in it. I do believe in democracy. I would like democracy to continue to, uh, or to improve and be actually feasible. Uh, And there are a number of things that we need to address, including the Electoral College. Let's fucking abolish it. Yada, yada. Um, But yeah, like, you know, I vote in every election. I vote in every local election, midterms, obviously presidential elections. And um, I think that that's, in my opinion, the bare minimum that people in the U.S. need to be doing. You know, just please fucking vote. It really doesn't take that much effort to do a bit of research, figure out your stances on, uh, you know, the, the candidates and the races and the propositions that might be on the ballot and then show up and just vote or, you know, mail in your ballot and vote. It's really, really not that much to ask. I know that obviously there are a lot of barriers for different communities and people. Um, So I'm not saying it's like effortless. I know that people have, you know, a lot of again, barriers to understanding politics. It's, it's notoriously complicated, and it's designed that way to keep people out, to make people think they're not smart enough or they're not informed enough or whatever to get involved in these elections, um, which again is why it's not just about you vote yourself, but also putting in the work in your communities to help um, get other people engaged, help other people vote, um, help other people able to voice their positions and get involved as well. Because like politics shouldn't be this exclusionary, you know, elitist thing where like, again, I from the beginning of, you know, the formation of the United States, it was always very elitist. It was like, oh, you know, the white men with money, with land are the ones who should be in power. All the other peasants know nothing and they should have no opinions. Like that's that's always been um, the status quo in this country politically. But it would be absolutely ridiculous to think that, you know, working class people or poor people don't understand politics. If anything, they understand political issues more than anyone, because all of these issues affect their lives extremely powerfully. So fuck the elitism. Uh, Let's help people get involved. Let's, let's help people. But uh, another thing is like, it's so hard to be motivated about electoral politics and to get people excited when the candidates fucking suck, you know? Like a lot of my local races, I'll check, I'll look people up, and there's really not a lot of distinctions between the judges or the people on these different courts or, you know, the people running because they're all the establishment politicians who aren't offering anything. And that's why primaries are really important. And if you do have any you know, new insurgent kind of candidates that actually have a platform and policies that you believe in. That's why we really have to increase turnout, especially in primaries, because like the machine is going to try to squash them. And I've seen that happen here in Queens. There's the Queens machine. Um, And, you know, we saw like Tiffany Caban's race. Uh, I think it was for district attorney. (laughs) Oops, it was too long ago. I've already forgotten the details, but like It's very true that, like, the establishment is not just like, oh, these are career politicians. They've been in it a long time. It's not just that. It's the fact that uh, there's so much power and actual corruption behind them. And of course, they will fight tooth and nail to keep the new people out and to keep the people out who are actually trying to change things. Whew, that was a lot. Um, Yeah, so all of that to say, yep, I still vote. I still want to, you know, encourage and help people. Vote, But there's also a a point where, like, like during, basically after Bernie's campaign ended, um, a lot of my excitement and my energy kind of died because, like, there was no way that I was suddenly just going to be like, oh, yeah, like, Biden totally fucking deserves the nomination. I'm all for Biden. Like, let me go promote Biden. Like, because Biden's platform did not and does not align with me, at least in terms of Democratic politics. Like, obviously I'm closer to fucking Biden than Trump or any other Republicans, but like, he's not given us a lot. So I definitely couldn't like overnight switch and just be like, let's be enthusiastic about Biden. Like, let's get out the vote. So like, you probably didn't see me post a lot of like pro-Biden or pro-Democratic party stuff, but I will share general like vote you know, information. But even that, it's like, I felt very deflated and I felt very discouraged. And it's, that's the the danger of the establishment squashing these important candidates like Bernie is like, it kills all of that excitement. Like, for example, the inauguration Like one fucking picture of Bernie sitting in a coat with fucking mittens on goes viral. And like, you can tell how even just like his most basic actions resonate so much with uh, people, especially young people. And again, we're not just voting for or supporting Bernie or candidates like him for the fucking memes, okay? It's just that he means a lot to us, if I could say so. You know, he does mean a lot to me as a political figure. I'm still trying to stay away from the hero worship you know, aside from my, like, 20 Bernie fucking stickers and my 10 Bernie t-shirts. He is an inspiring person to me, but also he's a politician, therefore he works for the people, and he's not a god, you know, we need to hold him accountable just like anybody else, yada yada. But anyway, uh, out of all the politicians that we have, though, yeah, Bernie's, Bernie's my man, and I will not hide the fact that I have a lot of... Uh, a lot of love for him as a figure, I guess. That's very contradictory to what I just said. <sighs> anyway. Oh, man. Yeah, so after after Biden got the nomination, I mean, there, there was a time where I was conflicted about what to do in terms of voting um obviously voting for trump was never on the table obviously not but i was like hmm, i am in new york like biden does not need my vote to win but i do vote in every election and i was like well if i'm gonna show up to vote or if i'm gonna mail in my ballot like <sighs> do i vote for biden just like you know bite my fucking tongue and and against everything that i disagree with and um you know, do I vote for him? Do I contribute my vote or do I not? And I did vote for Biden. Again, that was not enthusiastic. It was certainly an anti-Trump vote. And again, in in New York City, in the state of New York, was my vote for Biden absolutely necessary or helpful? No. But still, I just thought, you know, I'll do it. So I did it. And um, yeah, I don't think I even have done any podcasts since the day that we found out that Biden actually won. And then obviously, you know, Biden is in office officially now. And it feels so surreal to say because um, I haven't been very engaged. Again, like, uh, I I absolutely stay informed and I stay engaged during elections. But beyond that, like, I don't really care about the day-to-day bullshit. I care about the important shit. I care about the things that that need uh, engagement. But like I'm not gonna just like obsessively read all the shit that like is really inconsequential. So again, that's another part of my conflict about like how much news consumption is necessary. It's like, you know, being informed is good, but what does that mean? Does that mean you have to know every little bit of everything that's happening all the time? I don't think so. Um, but there are more consequential issues that we absolutely should stay informed and engaged in um. Yeah, so the inauguration. I mean, I woke up late <laughs> that day, unsurprisingly, but I did watch a bit of it on uh, YouTube live, and I was like, "Wow, this is this is a moment." I again, I just feel so like dejected, and I think in some ways I'm kind of underestimating the significance of this new administration, but also obviously I'm discouraged and not feeling excited uh, about what's to come. But <sighs> saying bye, bitch to Trump, like hello. Like, that that certainly has brought me a lot of joy, and the day of the inauguration, I was like, I can't even imagine how fucking bad Trump must be feeling right now, therefore I am happy. You know, it's like, it's that, that simple. In terms of what I expect from a Biden administration, that was a question that some people also had for me. Um, I mean... Someone also asked about the backpedaling in terms of the $2,000 stimulus checks, and then deciding, oh, the $600 that was just paid out is part of it, therefore we'll only pay people $1,400 more. And I guess as of now, Biden had said that, that was that was a day one thing, like, we're going to get people these checks, and now it's like, I think they're already kind of pushing that off to a future date, which is, you know, disappointing, but not surprising. And I think that's going to be the epitome of the Biden administration, which I already kind of expected from, you know, the time that he even put his fucking hat in the race for the primary. Um, I think there was a Kelly Stamps video recently where she said that, like, disappointed but not surprised. And I'm like, yes, yep, that's kind of, that is definitely a collective mood. She wasn't talking about politics, but um, it's relevant. What do I expect from the Biden administration? I mean, it's so frustrating because the Democrats have all the fucking power right now, and would they actually use it to be fucking bold and do all the shit we need? Like, yes, we should be getting monthly stimulus checks. We should be having, you know, rent relief, mortgage relief for everyone. We should have um, Medicare for fucking all, you know? <laughs> like, those are the basics. Those are the bare minimum. And yes, of course, handling the vaccine rollout and... Um, trying to manage the pandemic from now on those are basics and are most fucking democrats spineless and they're like still not gonna fight hard for these things it's like these are not only sorely needed uh issues or policies but they're also extremely popular and again not just among leftists or democrats among independents even many republicans support those Things. I mean, hello, right now, in the the fucking pandemic, who's for money? Who's for the government giving us money so that people don't starve and can't pay their bills and, you know, can keep their housing? Who's for that? Fucking everyone, of course. Um, there's, like, the small minority of people who will be like, but what's the impact of the debt on the economy? (sighs) I will never pretend to be a fucking economic expert. Uh, as I'm sure none of us are, but I can say I think it's pretty fucking obvious that, like, giving people money, like most other fucking countries have been doing, most other developed nations in the world from the beginning of the pandemic and the lockdowns have been giving their citizens money. They've been essentially paying people to either stay home or to make sure that they have their jobs, they have their income. It may not be 100%, but even like, you know, 70, 80, 90% of their income. That ensures that people can pay their bills and don't have to suffer, and also, you know, people don't lose their housing and other essentials. That's the bare minimum. Again, again, I mean, it's just, I get so frustrated, and th- and this is why I don't like to keep up with uh, democratic politics, or like, you know, the day-to-day bullshit is like, like, even right now, when the Democrats have all this power, I hope to God, not God, not religious, but sure, whatever, <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, sorry about the noise, if you can hear it. There's some shit going on either upstairs or in the hallway, and now my heaters are turning on so you can hear the little squeakiness. Sorry, but, you know, it happens. Um, I just wish that Democrats would fucking grow spines, generally. Like, again, I am I am technically a Democrat, I am part of this party, and most of the time, you know, or, you know, every time I vote, I vote for Democrats. But it's like, again, it's not enthusiastic 99% of the time, because most of these candidates are not far left enough for me. They're not doing enough for the people for me. uh, But I will still, you know, vote for them. And that's another thing that people say about electoral politics is like, okay, if they're not doing enough for you, why don't you withhold your vote? And, you know, to some extent, I get that, um, that question or that consideration. But I think in most Circumstances, us as citizens <sighs> withholding our votes also doesn't do anything to help us. So I guess if you're looking at, like, harm reduction, should you bite the bullet and vote for a shitty, boring Democrat versus doing nothing? Like, ugh, you know, <laughs> okay, I'll bite the goddamn bullet, but my teeth hurt because I'm doing this every fucking two years, you know? Um... <laughs> Okay, let's take a break, and I'll come back with another question, because I'm kind of rambling at this point. And we're back. So, a few people had asked me thoughts on Andrew Yang for NYC Mayor, and first of all, I recently got a call from a survey, like a political survey, Service and for some reason now I always actually answer them. Um, I'm always like, oh, I want to be called, I want to be surveyed, and so um, I remember I had gotten one during the primary. It was right when I had some friends over for a game night, so it might have been in like January or something last year. And uh, I sat and like had it on speaker, and I was like answering, and they asked like favorable, unfavorable, whatever. And so I got a call recently and I answered it and it was this like Southern sounding woman and she was asking me some questions about NYC mayor. I wish I had asked who was, uh, you know, paying for the survey because that usually, I don't know, it's just interesting to know. And obviously, I feel like I maybe should protect my own personal information a little bit more rather than just being like, yeah, I'm an open book, ask me anything. But I, I like to answer because I've done... I've done a little bit of phone banking in the past, and it's such a hard uh, job, and it's it's hard to get people to even answer the phone and talk to you, let alone go through the whole survey or thing that you're calling about. So I like to be nice and <laughs> sit and answer. So she called and she starts, you know, she's like, okay, I'm gonna ask you uh, each candidate, just tell me if you have a favorable or unfavorable opinion or if you don't know them. And these were all the candidates or any of the like, expected candidates for New York City mayor, and there were like 25 people that she listed. (laughs) And I only knew like three or four that were mentioned. And um, as the call continued to go on, I was like, this is going to take fucking forever. And I feel bad because I already am in the middle of it. Therefore, I feel like I've already committed to the whole thing, but I don't know how long this is going to last. They always tell you, oh, this will only take a few minutes of your time. I was on the phone for almost 30 minutes, so... I was very nice that day, very patient. (laughs) So anyway, uh, yeah, then she asked uh, for specific people, she would say, like, here's one of their policies or here's something about them, like, does that make you more or less likely to support them, blah, blah, blah. And I just kept getting so bored and I was like, where is this coming from? Like, you can tell by the way that they frame the questions, like, kind of which side they're on, like, whether or not they frame, like, you know, defunding the police or addressing um, homelessness or they if they talk about increasing the minimum wage or whatever. If they talk about that in a positive or a negative way, you can definitely tell. And this one seemed to be framed in a more positive light in terms of that. Um, and then the more like negatively framed... Uh, candidates were like, oh, this is like a de Blasio person, like this is an establishment person. Oh, did you know they had this scandal about this? So it was interesting. But um, by the end of the call, I was like, I still don't know who the hell I'd want to vote for. I mean, I think that this race is a while away, at least the summer, I think. Um, But yes, Andrew Yang, who was one of the 2020 Democratic presidential candidates, uh, is also running for New York City mayor. And I think I talked about him on the podcast like a year or two ago. And I, for some reason, had thought that like he was from California, but he is from New York. He's, you know, I don't know if he's born and raised, but he's lived in New York for like 20, 25 years. So he is a New Yorker. And um, I mean, I like Yang. I like him as a person as far as you can parasocially. Uh, But there were some things during the primary that made me... Obviously, like, I was never Yang Gang. Like, I'm Bernie, hello. Um, And I think he, like, flip-flopped a little bit on, like, Medicare for All and some other issues that are really important to me. So, like, that made me, like, not dislike him, but, like, you know, he lost some points in my book for those uh, positions. And obviously, he's the universal basic income guy, which I am in favor of, um... I've always been really fascinated by the concept of a basic income, and I think that it could be a great way to help ensure, um, you know, essentially, you could, in theory, wipe out poverty if everyone does, in fact, get a um, basic income. Well, (laughs) this is where it gets tricky, because some universal basic income proposals try to wipe out or replace any kind of welfare or social safety net. And if that universal basic income doesn't include other welfare or other benefits, then it's possible that people can still be below the poverty line with UBI. So it really does depend on the specifics. Ideally, I think we would have again, we would still have social programs like, you know, Section 8 housing vouchers and EBT food stamps. We should also um, still have any sort of. You know, obviously, social security, disability payments, um, and then also, you know, other like family support payments, and if UBI is factored into that, UBI should help lift people over the poverty line. Um, so yeah, that's that's my thought, and I haven't really paid close attention to what Yang has been up to after his uh, campaign ended. He ended up being, I think, a uh, like a mainstream media news commentator for a little while to. Obviously, keep himself in the public eye, and uh, he definitely still had ideas of continuing his political career. So that's where we are today. Yang for New York City mayor. Out of everyone who's running, again, I think he's the person that I know the most. Not really familiar with New York City um, politicians because I've only lived here the past few years. But I pulled up Yang's website, yangfornewyork.com. And he does have his like basic list of policies, but I will say most of them are not fully written out yet. Um, most of them say like, oh, a comprehensive policy will be added soon. So this is a very basic list, but let's go over it. He has uh, COVID recovery and cash relief, which includes a basic income for New York City, rebuild a more human-centered economy. That's you know a big part of his, his UBI pitch as well. Um, help our small businesses recover, reopen schools, and bring back New York City's nightlife, which, what does that one say? Yes, he wants he wants a culture, society, and nightlife uh, coordinator, or something like that. Like, he wants a new position, like somebody who's in charge of handling that. Because he says, quote, nightlife is one of the things that makes New York, New York. I see it as intense. In- <laughs> shit, <laughs> integral uh, to our economy and culture. So he wants to make sure, once the vaccine is distributed and the virus is under control, uh, he wants the city to live life to its fullest again. So what is he proposing? Um, n- <laughs> make New York City fun again. Every phrase that's make, make blank blank again um, is ruined forever now. So we can't make anything, anything ever again, period. Um, I don't really care to get into the the depths of this, but I mean, it does say make outdoor dining a part of New York city, which I agree with. I think it would be cool if, um, outdoor dining was more accessible and regular. Obviously it's still tricky during the winter because of the cold and you either need like, Strong heaters. I've laughed when I've seen those like outdoor structures that are like outdoor dining, quote unquote, but they're like fully built, like fully enclosed. So they're not really outdoors anymore because there's no airflow and it's just a building outside, but whatever. Um, Some sort of outdoor dining, you know, in terms of being COVID safe for right now, obviously needs to have a lot of ventilation. But I mean, I still do not care to be dining outdoors, especially during the winter, but okay. Okay. Um, but no, I think, I think it's cool, and I think, um, I think it feels a little bit European to see these, like, cafes on the street and have people out and enjoying and people watching. It's a little bit tricky dealing with, like, how does this impact parking or how does this impact the streets? Um, obviously, New York has a lot of traffic and a big traffic problem. And there have been a lot of plans to transition the city from such a car-heavy city to a more walkable city and a more pedestrian and bike-friendly city. Um, There's a lot of infrastructure changes that would need to happen to make that uh, a reality. But I mean, I agree with that. I think making New York City a more green city would be great. But um, he he also has make-to-go cocktails a permanent fixture, which... Okay, I mean, cool, like, okay. (laughs) Again, I'm like, cool policy, I guess, but also like, is that a top priority? I would not say so. He says, um, (laughs) we don't need to make New York City the next Bourbon Street to make New York City living more fun as someone who has lived in New Orleans and did not spend a lot of time downtown, uh, but I have walked down Bergen, what the fuck am I saying? I come back for this last part of the podcast and I can't speak anymore. I have gone to Bourbon Street a few times, like literally briefly walked on it, but it is the worst. There is, um, I mean, okay, to me, Times Square and Bourbon Street are like kind of on an equal level of hell and places that I do not want to be and do not want to spend time uh even if they do have the cool takeaway fucking cups that are a foot long um no 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 it's scary it's crowded again this is all pre covid even um i don't like crowds i don't like lots of drunk people around me i don't like you know the messiness of it all but <laughs> there are so many cooler parts of new orleans Don't just go to Bourbon Street. Like uh, when Nathan and I went back and visited New Orleans, oh God, October 2019, that was so long ago. It was cool to go back. It was cool to explore uptown around the university where I used to spend most of my time, but also, um, we of course took the streetcar and went downtown and went around the French Quarter and, um, we went to Frenchman for the first time because I had never gone there, uh, as a student even, and Frenchman is so fucking cool and there's all the great little, uh, bars. <sighs> It makes me sad to imagine how many of those I've had to close in the last year, but it's a beautiful, you know, lively, music-friendly scene, and yeah, so go to Frenchmen, don't go to Bourbon, but don't go to Frenchmen and, and be messy, okay? You gotta be chill, you can have a lot of fun, you can drink, but be fucking chill, okay? Don't be crazy, don't be too wild, don't be too messy. That's my uh, suggestion. Anyway, so back to Yang's policies an affordable city. So he has some stuff on housing and economy. Again, these don't have specifics yet. So like that, (laughs) like the meat and potatoes of the plan uh, are not out here yet. I mean, his general suggestions sound nice but I do care about the details. So I guess we shall see. Uh, Yeah, so for right now, I definitely can't say who I will be voting for. Uh, Again, I can say I generally like Andrew Yang, but I do not know if his policies are going to be uh, what I would like to support in terms of mayor. I, I mean, I think it's bold to to want to be the mayor of New York City. Like, holy shit, that is a job that has not only so much pressure, but is kind of a a cursed political thing because like. It's just so hard. It's like one of the hardest jobs in politics to be the mayor of New York City. There's just so much going on. It's so demanding, Um, you know, not as somebody who's been mayor (laughs) or considered it, but that's just what I've heard, you know? And uh, yeah, so all power to him, you know, whether or not this is a a serious run. I know a lot of people are underestimating him and not taking him seriously. um, But I mean, I don't know. We we haven't really seen what he is capable of, um, but I do like some of his ideas and uh, we shall see. But yeah, when it comes to the other candidates, I, I do not know. If you have any to suggest that are, you know, far left, quote unquote, or align more or less with like Bernie type policies, then please share them because I, I will be looking into this and I will be participating in this electoral process at some point. Woo, that's a fun one. And then we got a couple of other questions, just to end off the podcast. um, Someone had asked, or a couple of people asked, do you have friends who you greatly disagree with about politics? And I always find these questions interesting. Um, Friends? I'd say no. Like, I do not have any Republican friends. None. Um, And that's been, you know, my same friends since uh, childhood. You know, we we are from, you know, Southern California, so maybe, I don't know. I don't think any of that has, because Southern California does have a lot of Republicans. I've seen a lot of people who used to go to my school or surrounding schools who are definitely young Republicans, born into money, very privileged, not my type of people, um... <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so, so I don't have any Republican friends, I definitely have Republican family members, and that's a whole other thing to deal with, um, but for this question, I mean, I do think it's very important for people to align with certain beliefs, definitely, like, (laughs) any social issues, like, obviously, homophobic, transphobic fucking people will not be tolerated, like, no, Um, when it comes to economic issues, like, it's tricky because, you know, you kind of get, like, the libertarians who are like, oh, I'm, you know, socially progressive, but I'm economically conservative. Actually, I don't even know if that lines up with libertarians. Maybe they'll be like, you know, I just, I just think like, you know, people on welfare are lazy trash. And I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) like, holy shit. I'm like, if you believe that, it would be very difficult for me to be your friend because we would just disagree on so many central things. Like I don't need to sit and have like intense political conversations with my friends at all times, but I do think there has to be that kind of shared understanding because that just contributes to everything else in your life and in your interactions and your relationships. Like, you know, if we go to a restaurant out of the pandemic times, are you going to tip generously? Are you going to be kind to your server? Like <laughs> I just think like if you're a certain type of person who would be rude to your server or tip badly or not tip, that's shitty, okay? So I think there you know, I don't know if it's correlation does not equal causation, but like there's correlation there between certain conservative ideologies and certain behaviors that I do not accept. So, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I don't know. People always talk about, like, oh, like, the the left talks about, like, being tolerant of all people, but they're intolerant of conservatives and Republicans. It's like, uh, yeah, you got us. Ooh, we're not tolerant of neo-Nazis. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I think being a tolerant person um, is, which isn't the question, but to me, being a tolerant person entails, like, respecting everyone and not... Um, not harming people or wishing harm or whatever on anyone based on like their lifestyle choices, sure. Race, ethnicity, can't talk. Um, sexuality, gender identity, whatever. Like tolerance is, oh cool, you're that, all right. Now when it comes to, oh cool, you're a Republican or a conservative or alt-right or a neo-Nazi. <sighs> now I'm not gonna say that's cool. And I'm not gonna say I'm tolerant of that because um, there are certain ideologies that do actively cause harm. So I I guess the distinction is, I am tolerant of things that do not cause harm. Like, you know, if it doesn't cause harm, why would I have a problem with it? But if you do have harmful uh, beliefs, I'm not gonna tolerate that. I think it's pretty simple. I think most people understand that, but it's always used as like a gotcha thing. Like, oh, the intolerant left. (laughs) Like, okay, (laughs) okay, whatever. Um, So anyway, like, I, I want to think that I'm open to having conversations with people, but, like, just, like, I would not align with someone who's, like, anti-choice in terms of abortion, anti-welfare so- social safety net, thinks that, like, they shouldn't be taxed and that public services are bullshit and anti-Medicare for all, it's like <laughs> like, just all of these things that I believe in. I'm like, mm, we just wouldn't get along. We would not be jazzed together uh it would be very difficult to reconcile those essential differences jumping in to add um by the way that when it comes to like being friends with people who don't agree with you perfectly i think even just among my friends on the left quote unquote like anyone between a far leftist full-blown socialist all the way to like a kind of more moderate democrat like i do have friends who are more you know like standard Democrat, like liberal, like totally loved Clinton, and maybe they're hype for Biden. I mean, I can't think of anyone who's like hype for Biden, but anyway, my point is just like, yes, I have friends that I disagree with in the sense that I think even among the left, there's a lot of disagreement and a lot of infighting, which could be its own whole podcast episode. Um, But yeah, it's like, I definitely obviously don't require all of my friends to have literally the exact same opinions as me. I don't think anyone has the exact same opinions and I'm totally fine with disagreeing about, you know, minor distinctions or different issues or like how to approach different issues. But, um, yeah, just wanted to point that out. I definitely, you know, you can have, uh, I don't know, I can have friends that I disagree with, but again, I think it comes down to those really central issues that are more your deal breakers rather than just like something that you can debate with each other about but you still have the same central understandings. Does that make sense? Okay. And, you know, some people ask like what do you do about, you know, for family members? This is a tricky thing and that's why so many of us have those struggles is like it's not the same thing like you don't necessarily pick your family you know, the family that you're born into or whatever. So um, you can have your chosen family, which I think is a great thing, but you know, many of us are still connected to and and involved with our families. And um, I don't know, I don't have any advice in terms of what to do with those uh, interactions, but there has been the question raised recently of like, especially involving Black Lives Matter and these, you know, racial issues and like, what do you do with your racist family members or friends or acquaintances, people in your life? Do you call them out or do you cut them off? And you know, I've never been one to cut people off, especially not family because first of all, I'm just not confrontational in that way, but also um, I, I just personally don't think that's the most effective thing for me. Um, if I were to cut off everyone that I politically disagree with within my family, Um, But I will certainly have those conversations. I certainly have had those conversations trying to um, share my beliefs and trying to educate various family members on certain things um, and trying to call them out for the bullshit, you know. So I think it is important for us to um, not keep those people in our lives, but like, well, yes, to an extent. You know, so I've seen I've seen both sides of it, where people say, oh, you should cut off any racist, fucked up people, just cut them off. They don't deserve to be in your life. And I totally understand if anyone feels that that is the route that is right for them. Uh, again, whether that's in a friend or family context, if cutting people off is something that you need or feel compelled to do, sure, for, for any number of reasons, you know, not just necessarily political beliefs um, or anything like that. But also there's been the other side of it where people say, if all these leftist or all these not racist people cut off the racists or the conservatives or whatever in their lives, then that just increases our um, polarity and it just keeps people in their own bubbles even more so that there isn't anyone around those racists or neo-Nazis or whoever, uh, problematic people generally, not just problematic, but you know, like it can be somewhat problematic all the way to, you know, the more extreme ends of that. Either way, if we generally as leftist or progressive or whatever you want to call us, if we don't interact with those people, they're not going to get any interaction. They're not going to get that pushback. They're not going to be called out for anything. Nobody is going to question their beliefs. They're going to be talking about Fox News, One America News Network. They're going to be talking about QAnon conspiracies, and nobody will be around to question that or to, you know, bring in uh, that other side or, like, the actual information rather than the misinformation. So, yeah, I do think it's important for me, at least, to... um, Definitely not cut people off at this point, but I am really trying to learn how to be more confrontational in terms of like, okay, next time, again, it's hard to even imagine, next time I'm at a family party with my extended family or, you know, a a dinner, like, what is it gonna be like? How can I call people out? It's hard because I, I wanna be respectful still in some sense, but then like, why should I be respectful if someone's being terrible, you know? Um, But I think there are, I'd say more productive ways to have these conversations. And I don't think that just yelling at people or immediately calling them, you know, racist, horrible, blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's productive, even though it may be entirely true. And it may be an emotional or whatever reaction that you want, you wanna call those people out and you wanna say it to their face. But in terms of like, how do we change people's minds? How do we shift people's worldview? Like that's not gonna be productive. And that might not be your aim. It might not be your aim to be productive and have a safe, you know, respectable conversation. Uh, <laughs> sorry, this whole thing is all very like hypothetical and on both sides and that might not be right for you. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm still just trying to consider in my own life what my route is and what I believe to be the best decisions to hopefully inspire some change or even have questions and have those important conversations and let people know that certain things are not, you know, not acceptable. And why? Um, or certain things are fucked up. And why? So hopefully you can uh, change people's minds. But it's fucked up, but it's also hard because especially when you're talking about like older people, like, you know, there are always people who say like, oh, they're old. They're just going to be that way. There's nothing we can do to, to change them. and. I disagree i think even when you're old of course you'll probably be more stubborn and more set in your ways but i think people can change at any age or they can be introduced to new ideas or concepts or perspectives at any time but i also think like what are we going to do for the young people what are we going to do for kids because of course there are you know certain people with ideologies i completely disagree with having kids and raising them every day and like how do we How do we, in terms of education or in terms of culture uh, or communities, how do we save, quote unquote, those kids from being raised into those same harmful ideologies that their parents have? Um, It happens. It's definitely possible. I would say more often than not, myself and my friends... Um, do disagree with our own families and parents about a number of things. So it is possible to grow up and be independent of your upbringing in terms of your ideology, your politics, your beliefs, your ethics. Um, but yeah, I, I think a lot of it does come down to like your actual education and those other situations in your life that become learning moments or that, that um, teach you things. <laughs> So anyway, uh, I don't know. It's different, though, because, again, I grew up in California, Southern California, and our education, I would say, is at least center. You know, I definitely did not grow up, for example, in a southern place where, like, you know, they teach evolution. <laughs> or no, no, sorry. I said that wrong. Where they teach creationism instead of evolution, Um You know, there are are schools that are still teaching that today, like literally will not acknowledge the science of evolution and will only consider creationism and religion as the explanation for uh, human life. So yikes. Uh, So yeah, education is certainly something that systemically needs to be sorted. And I don't know how we can do that on a nationwide scale. You know, obviously each state can establish its own curriculum and each school district. So, like, that's where it gets really um, difficult because, of course, certain states have different ideologies that they want to indoctrinate their children into. And, you know, uh, yikes, dude. I don't know if there are any education specialists listening, teachers, professionals, um, who can weigh in on you know what that struggle is actually like and what what can be done? I mean maybe local hello maybe local communities can you know petition and become involved and try to talk with the school board. I would assume are ways to affect change in your community. But um sorry, but yeah I again I don't have an answer for that. But we have one last question. Someone asked, what is the most unbiased way to educate yourself? But also I wanted to answer something else that just popped into my head. Um, I was just thinking like, ways that we can get involved in our communities again like the school board like who goes to those meetings who goes to city council meetings like how often do people actually go to town halls in their community to get involved and listen and weigh in Uh, i would really like to start doing that i i have to look into that and figure out how to do that and how frequently i really want to commit to Being a more active citizen and paying attention, especially to what's happening right in my immediate community, my part of New York City, New York City as a whole. Um, I think that that's really important. I think that people getting involved uh, in local politics can be one of the most effective ways to create change in your life and the the lives of the people around you. Um, I'm also looking into more mutual aid in my immediate area because I want to support, you know, whether it's like a community pantry or um, book donations or book clubs or uh, things that I can fund in terms of clothing or housing, like anything, anything involving my community. I really want to be more connected to my community. Um, It's something I think about, especially in terms of New York City. Obviously, everyone moving into a new city or any place that is experiencing gentrification, which is almost everywhere, um, it's it's unavoidable to be part of that gentrification, unfortunately. But I think there are things that you can do to minimize your harm and hopefully be a positive part of your community. And I think a lot of that involves like some supporting local small businesses, for example, and um, getting to know your community, like the real community that's like been there before the gentrifiers and um, yeah, not, not becoming this isolated bubble of like, you know, new people moving in who have nothing to do with the roots of your area. So yeah, I know it's not, it's it's an imperfect thing and I'm definitely not an expert. Again, I, I want to do more research about gentrification and New York City and the history of different boroughs and, and areas, neighborhoods. Um, and yeah, I want to, I want to do what I can to hopefully be a positive part of my neighborhood. Okay, well my voice is going out and my heater is turning on again, so I will leave it at that. So there we are, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please make sure to leave a comment if you're watching on YouTube or leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you would like. I appreciate the support, I'm glad that you guys are enjoying this Um, and I will be back next week with another podcast episode. Okay, thanks, bye.